0: Hello everyone, Dr. Tim and Hillary here for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary?
1: I am doing great. Just uh, just enjoying my first cup of coffee for the day in my fancy Dr. Tim's Aquatics mug. It's a good morning. Yes. Despite the rain.
0: Sunny and 75 degrees in Southern California.
1: Oh, must be nice.
0: It, it, it is. It's very much. Nice. <laughs> I want to go to the snow. I don't want the snow to come to me.
1: That's fair. That's fair.
0: All right. We're doing questions and
1: answers. We are. We are. All right. Fire away. Okay. Question number one Is it possible that the bacterial strains that are in one and only have a higher affinity for certain kinds of substrates? For example, foam glass, rock, K1, which could affect the time to cycle. For example, the particles on which your bacteria are immobilized may be able to colonize foam, which traps the particles, but adversely affect the time to colonize plastic media such as bioballs and K1. Do you have a recommendation as to which media is best?
0: Well, we'll start at the end. The best media for you the user is the one you'll keep clean. Uh, And it sounds trite, but all biomedia is home to nitrifying bacteria. They live on surfaces, not in the water. And if you use a biomedia that is hard to clean, you won't clean it. And then organics will get trapped on top inside the, you know, the organics will just take over and then the media will become worthless. So there is, you know, no, quote, best media. It depends upon the situation. It depends upon the operator. In studies, the best types of biofilters, which is a different question, but the best types of biofilters are RBCs, you know, rotating biological contactors. That was the uh, idea behind the bio wheel at Marineland. Uh When we first came out with that, people thought it was a joke. But people that knew about biofilters and weren't our competition realized that that wasn't a joke. The biofilter was a very efficient. The bio wheel was a very efficient bio uh, filter because the rotating action kept the nitrifying colonies clean and free of de- of organics and debris. The second was fluidized beds. Fluidized bed filters have been tried in the aquarium world, but they take, they take more maintenance. They just, uh, the scaling down to the home aquarium, which is more of a put it on and kind of forget about it. I didn't say that's the best way to do it, but that's just reality. People aren't going to, Sit there and think about their biofilter all day long, uh, but but um, fluidized beds were second. But getting back to the question, the rest of the question, um, all nitrifiers need uh, surface. So when the the question is, are these strains all nitrifier strains are surface? bio you know they they form biofilms they form eps they're not living in the uh water per se they much rather be on the surface so that doesn't matter the the reason the one and only works better i.e. faster uh than other mixes out there is truthfully we've got the right bacteria i mean that's what we do we we grow the right bacteria for the situation and in this case, your home aquarium, and that's why it works better. Uh, the media helps um, because they do want to be on a substrate. And the media, though, is small enough that the bacteria, yeah, they'll get ca- captured in foam, but they'll also get captured in sintered glass, um, K one media, bio balls, all that material. Um, the the one and only will live on. That's that's not a problem. There are uh, glass, Mm -hmm. marbles are great media, um, but you just got to keep things clean. And the other is just because you put a media in there, and this is my contention with the the blocks, water's not just going to go through those blocks. Water's going to take the path of least resistance. It's going to go around the blocks. If you want to use the ceramic blocks, the engineered blocks and things like that, that's fine, but you got to make the water go through them, which means you got to build a wall in your aquarium that the water has to pass through. Just putting blocks or media in a bag in a corner someplace, the water's going to avoid that. And that media is really not going to do, uh, much or be as efficient as it could be. So did that answer the questions, Hillary?
1: Yeah, I think it did. Although I have an additional question, you may know the answer to this. What is K one?
0: K one is a a media that's used in the aquaculture industry a lot, um, and it's a it's a plastic media, uh, engineered. Um, it's not really a bio ball type of media, but it's a plastic engineered uh, media that has. Um, a lot of nice surface area, but it's open, so it's clean. Um, you know, a lot of these media have, um, uh, they're rather closed, you know, and, and like, like centered glass or something like that. Uh, the very small pores allow the manufacturers to say it's got, you know, a bazillion square meters per cubic meter of surface area, but is that media really um available? And the answer is probably no. K1 is, I don't know if it's trademarked or not, but it's a media by a company in Europe. Um and it's a it's rather open, kind of picture a circle with a cross through it in the middle. And then it has little ribs And um, it's used in floating bead filters or moving biofilm reactors and fluidized beds and things like that. Might have been first developed actually for the pond industry. Um, But the neat thing about it is that it can easily be cleaned. Uh, And, you know, I've said this before, and people are, yeah, you can't. Can you do that? But nitrifiers live in these biofilms, and you can take the media, rinse it, and you can hit it with. With regular tap water, you know, just I'm not saying soak it in tap water with chlorine, but the EPS, you know, the extra polymer substance that these bacteria extrude and, and f- use to stick to things, that's like a force field that kicks that resists the chlorine. And so, just spraying a little chlorine on some media to rinse it is not going to be harmful to the nitrifiers. Um, it gets the organics out. The key is keeping your biological filter clean.
1: That makes sense. I just Googled some K1 media, and it kind of reminds me of pasta.
0: Yeah, kind of like pasta. I don't know. Like I guess I don't know if that's trademarked. Um, but it's used in, um, I know I've seen it in ponds filters that people have, like a f- uh, fluidized bed pond filter, but um, I personally have never used it. But there's a lot of media like it, and it's more open um, so that you can get water through it. Uh, And and that's the key, and keep it clean so it doesn't become clogged. I mean, sand has got a huge amount of surface area, but what's going to happen with sand? Rapid sand filters, which were kind of the – You know, everybody just went down and bought a pool filter and put sand in it. And that was their biological filter and the mechanical filter. And the things became rock hard and water bypassed. And, you know, it was their terrible filters, really, especially if you've got any type of uh, fish population in there.
1: Learning lots of new stuff today. Hopefully answering your questions. Let's see. Number two, I have a new 112-gallon tank that I'm trying to cycle The folks I bought the tank from said I should put a bottle of seed and a bottle of remediation in, which I did. No ammonia showed up in a two-week period. I called Bulk Reef Supply, and they said I should put Dr. Tim's ammonia in. I'm on day five, and I am following your schedule. I've put ammonia in twice, and my ammonia level is at 2.5 yesterday and 4 on the nitrites. Should I add ammonia on day six or not?
0: I'm not sure what a bottle of seed is. I don't know if seed's a brand name, and I don't know what remediation is. But basically, it seems that doing that and not adding any ammonia means that you really haven't started your biological cycle. So now they've added some one and only. They've added ammonia twice or once? Twice.
1: Yeah, twice. And I think seed, I don't know about remediation, but I think seed is a bacterial product by Seachem. I could be wrong.
0: I thought that was stability. Anyways, um, okay, so once again, they've added ammonia um, twice, and the ammonia nitrite values now are what? Again, sorry.
1: Um, the ammonia was 2.5 and the nitrite was 4.
0: So do not add ammonia. And this is a common issue on our recipe card for fishless cycling. We have, you know, add ammonia day one, day three, day five. But there's a little caveat there that people seem to miss, and that is not if your ammonia or nitrite is high, which is usually defined as above two. Um, You know, around above two weight. So both here, the ammonia is above two, the nitrite's above two. So don't add. The ammonia. Let the ammonia and nitrite drop. We give guidelines in the recipe cards, but the fact is, every aquarium is different, and we've tried hard. We 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 republished, you know, edited, and and Hillary then took a shot at rewriting the guides because if the guides aren't clear, then they're worthless. So um, we try to make them clear, and I encourage people to to look over our new cycling guide, which can be downloaded from our website, um, because we want to make it clear, we want to make it easy, but every tank is different. Some of the common issues are, well, I didn't turn my filter on. You have to have water movement well, I turned my filter on, but I didn't put the sponge or the filter media in because you said don't use a filter sock. Well, a sponge and filter media aren't filter socks. So turn your filter on, make sure your filter has media in it. Um, It's just all crazy, kind of crazy things we get, which if enough people are saying that, then maybe we're not clear enough. So I'm asking you to you know, read read our directions. And if they're not clear enough, uh say, I don't understand this and contact us at info or some, you know, social media or something so that we can make these recipe cards clearer because they're designed to help you um cycle your tank or get rid of cyano or dinos. And if there's places that are not um where people are misunderstanding things, then they're not doing their job and we can edit them. So, but yeah, do not add ammonia, let the ammonia come down, let the nitrite come down below two.
1: Okay, good advice. And so we're going to move on to question number three. You've touched on this in question one and two, but give us a detailed answer. Um, Is a filter sock mechanical filtration? And I'm going to add on to this. Can you talk about the different types of filtration in aquariums?
0: Well, yes. A filter sock is extreme mechanical filtration. So there's three types of basic filtration. There's more, but three general types, mechanical, chemical, and biological. Mechanical filtration is the straining of organic debris, stuff, particulates that are in the water, whether it's leaves or just non-dissolved stuff. And so you can use Filter pads, sponges, filter socks, they're all just physically retaining or straining this particulate material out of the water. And then you need to clean that. And, and uh, an extreme case of that is the the roller filters where you have this, uh, the water passes through a a piece it's not paper uh um not sure what that stuff is do you know what the roll of filter material is hillary
1: um i've heard it called like filter fleece but i I don't know
0: filter fleece but but anyways you have a a roll at the bottom and a roll at the top and between them you have a single layer of this of this fleece and the water goes through that and the material It's a mechanical filter. The debris in the water is being retained or trapped by this. And normally what happens is your mechanical filter becomes clogged. So you have to clean it, the filter pads, the sponge. With the roller filter, it slowly rotates or or reels from the clean roll to the dirty roll. And it takes, it always is moving just a little bit so that it's basically taking the dirty part of the roll up out of the water and bringing in a new um new a new fleece piece Boy, i didn't explain that well did i not a very good <laughs> not a very good picture um
1: i'll, I'll it, post a photo of one
0: yeah but sorry folks um hillary's hitting me things well, i'm not prepared for it, but that's okay But so that's what mechanical filter is next is chemical because you've taken care of the particulate material with the mechanical, now you've got dissolved organics, which discolor the water, uh, which uh, can inhibit, they can can add smells in high amounts, they can inhibit filtration and things like that. And so you can remove these dissolved substances through activated carbon, or maybe you want to get rid of phosphate. By binding it to, uh, G- you know, granular ferric oxide (GFO). That's a chemical filtration. Or chemical filtration re- is where you're doing some type of chemical removal of a target or uh, target substance. And generally, the chemical filtration comes after the mechanical. Because chemical filtration generally involves some type of media, whether it's the, uh, an exchange beads or the GFO or, or different, kinoptolite is a type of zeolite that removes ammonia. Um, you don't want that media to become clogged with organics. So first you strain out the particulates, then you've got this clean, meaning no particulate water that goes into your chemical media to remove whatever target you're looking for. Next is the biological filter, because neither the um, mechanical or chemical filter will remove the ammonia. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. Well, remember, there's always exceptions to this, and you can remove ammonia chemically, with clinoctolite and freshwater tanks, but that's not going to work very efficiently. And if you can remove ammonia before it becomes ammonia, using your mechanical filter by getting rid of the organics. Mechanical traps it. You got to get it out of there before the bacteria degrade all those organics into ammonia. But generally you have then your biological filter, which is where the nitrifying bacteria live and they convert the ammonia to nitrite and then the nitrite to nitrate So those are your basic types of filtration bio you know mechanical chemical biological and then you've got you know where does ozone where does UV fit in but we won't go down that right
1: now I think that takes care of it right. All right let's move on to question number four. I'm a little bit confused. You talk about heterotrophic and autotrophic bacteria. Can you talk about the different groups of bacteria, what they do, and which kinds are in each of your products?
0: Okay, so the basic difference between autotrophic bacteria and heterotrophic bacteria is their carbon source. Autotrophic bacteria... Get the carbon they need because every living organism needs carbon. They get their carbon from CO2. Nitrifiers are autotrophic, so the carbon comes from CO2. Heterotrophic bacteria get the carbon they need from organic carbon, from sucrose, glucose, or basically breaking down. Organic material, leaves, dead you know, dead fish, broke, uh, uneaten food, all that organic material. How does it how does it decompose? You know, how why are we not buried in our own waste? Well, you know, the circle of life starts with microorganisms that break down this organic material be it you know some fish food to a redwood tree that's fallen in the forest eventually will be decomposed by heterotrophic bacteria and why do we need heter- why do we we need both of these bacteria so the autotrophs the nitrifiers take care of the ammonia that the fish excrete fish excrete ammonia not urea like humans then you've got all this organic material. And if we don't have heterotrophs, what do we get? We get issues. Because you have organics, nitrates, phosphates in the water. And normally bacteria would consume or assimilate those organics, nitrates, and phosphates. But because we want our water, well, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm head putting tippy toes on a rabbit hole, not answering the question. So the heterotrophs are the bacteria.
1: <laughs> when I read it, I was like, I can see a rabbit hole coming up here.
0: Yeah. So the the heterotrophs are the bacteria that keep the aquarium generally clean, so that you don't have all this buildup of waste and. They are the primary uh, opposition or the primary uh, reason you don't get algae. And you know, oh, oh, well, I got algae all over the place. Well, the problem, and this is where we go down the rabbit hole a little bit, is that we want our water, our surfaces, we want this pristine clean aquarium from top to bottom, the sides. We want this almost like a movie set, white, clean aquarium, but that's not nature. But what do we do? We add mechanical filters. We add filter socks, roller filters, UVs, protein skimmers, ozone, all this stuff to quote filter the water. And what's it doing? It's killing. It's eliminating and inhibiting the heterotrophic bacteria from growing because the nitrifiers, as I said earlier, live on surfaces. The heterotrophic bacteria can live on surfaces because that's where the organics settle, but they also live in the water. They're pelagic. They're in the water. Well, all these things that we do have the unintended consequence of eliminating or inhibiting the growth of the heterotrophs, which leaves behind the nitrates and the phosphates and the organics. And that is food, that's that's resource. And what do you get? Dinoflagellates, hair algae, beard algae, and cyanobacteria, all these things that grow on surfaces because that water is not, go, you know, going; the surface isn't being put through the skimmer, the ozone, or things like that. So this is why we've come up with, you know, the waste away gels to constantly put bacteria back. Now that's not getting into the second part of the question: is what are the differences? So the one and only is just nitrifying bacteria waste away. Is eight different species of heterotrophic bacteria that I isolated from aquariums that we grow to put back at the aquarium because you've got all these things that are eliminating them. And that's why, if you read, or some people will say, you know, I don't have all this stuff and my aquariums never look better and I've never done any water changes, blah, blah, blah. But the secret to that, because it kind of can be done, is they have a very low to maybe no fish population, so that they're not adding food every day. Which means, you know, and if you're not adding food, that means you're not adding a big source of ammonia and nitrite or uh, uh, nitrite and organics to the tank. And you can have a beautiful coral reef aquarium, I've done it without really having any fish in it. I mean, this is from a fish person, but the fish you know, when you, when you overcrowd and add more food, the the negative reaction to that is you're going to have more nitrate from the ammonia nitrite, and you're going to have more organics. And then you take all this stuff and eliminate all the heterotrophic bacteria, and you've got a recipe for disaster because you get the cyanose and the dinos and things like that. How's that?
1: I think that's good. If they have more questions, they can always come back. And ask, I know you enjoy talking about bacteria. All right, let's see. Number five, can I do a fishless cycle method in a jar with used aqua soil, but without a filter?
0: The short answer is yes. The long answer is not without problems. The the issue is in a jar, is there any media in the jar? You have to have some media. Uh, The bacteria, sure, they'll grow on the sides, but they don't really like it. And then what size is the jar? Because say say you you know have a mason jar, I don't know what's that sixteen ounces? One, you got to have air air because the nitrifying nitrification process requires oxygen. So what's the filter in the jar or an airstone? got some air, okay? Secondly, you have to have some surface area for the bacteria to grow on. So you've got to get the water moving through the media, I think in question one, I talked about that just throwing some media at the and let it settling to the bottom of the jar. The water has to pass through that media around that media for the bacteria to grow very well. Uh, and then uh, sunlight or light, you want to be careful since most jars are clear, because you're gonna you don't want to start growing algae algae will take the nutrients they they like ammonia too and so you'll steal the nutrients from the nitrifying bacteria but more consequently is assuming you've got media got an airstone, you've added some one and only and now you're going to add some ammonia drops 16 ounces you know uh, half a liter of water isn't very much what's going to happen everybody should know this. You're going to add the ammonia. The bacteria are going to oxidize the ammonia, which is going to produce hydrogen ions, which is going to cause the the alkalinity to decline as it neutralizes the hydrogen ions. And eventually your pH is going to drop and the whole thing's Going to, the whole nitrification process going to, is going to stop because the pH is going to be eventually below six, and that's why you know people say, well, you know, larger aquariums are e- easier to set up, especially when you're new, and they, they are because you have more water, so things don't happen as fast. Small systems like a sixteen ounce jar, you're not going to have a lot of alkalinity or buffering capacity, so you're adding those ammonia drops. Uh, pretty soon your pH is going to crash and the whole system's going to come to a halt. So the short answer is yes, you can. The long answer is you've got to be aware of the limitations and be ready to you know, water changes and take steps to uh, counteract those limits.
1: Okay. Question number six. I'm currently dealing with a dino outbreak for the first time. In my research, I have seen lots of information that suggests that depending on what type of dino it is, they enter the water column at night, thus allowing the UV to kill them off. However, this involves putting them under a microscope to determine which kind they actually are. Personally, that seems like a very overly complicated process. I'm currently in the process of following the advice I've seen you give on the issue. I've lowered my blue channels on my lights, and I will be dosing waste away in conjunction with using the waste away gels. I don't want to go the refresh route yet. I've read that it could lead to invert death. Do you think what I'm doing will work?
0: Yes, but the main thing is what is your water chemistry in in that in the majority of situations where people have dinoflagellates or dinos for short, the nitrate is really low and the phosphate is un—you know is below measurement. So I'm not going to say zero; it just can't be measured with hobbyist test kits. And so, that is an environment that pretty much um, only dinos um, can grow in. And so for long-term success and for this, for the waste away and everything to work best, you need to get the phosphate up to about 0.03 to 0.05. And the nitrate should be between five and 10. If, if you don't do that, you'll have temporary success with this method, but the dinos will come back because as I mentioned in the earlier question, you're trying to grow a certain population of bacteria in the water column to control the nutrients, and then those bacteria are removed by the skimmer. But if you uh, have super low or non-existent phosphate in nitrate in the water column, you're not going to be able to grow these heterotrophic bacteria that can outcompete the dinos. Well, then, Dr. Tim, why do the dinos grow? I mean, how can they grow in that, you know, desert of an environment, nutrient desert? Well, dinos are, one, photosynthetic, which most, you know, heterotrophic bacteria aren't. And two, dinos can also break down and get nutrients from organic material. So they are like half bacteria, half uh, phototrophic organism well, that's exactly what they are and so they can they don't need the uh, uh, dissolved phosphate and nitrate that the heterotrophic bacteria need they can get it from other sources and it, and as an aside so you know dinos because a lot of times people will not have dinos but they'll have sino and they'll go well you know I don't understand. I don't have any nitrate. My phosphate's kind of high, but I don't have any nitrate. What's going on? Cyanobacteria can fix the nitrogen they need from the atmosphere, from the dissolved gases in the water. The atmosphere is like 78% nitrate, and you've got an equalizing of the atmospheric gas, which is oxygen, nitrate, and a little bit of argon, I think, And then with the aquarium, um, gases. And if you don't have any nitrate, you still have dissolved gases in the aquarium. And the cyanobacteria can get the nitrate from that dissolved gases.
1: Okay. Let's see. We are on question number seven. In regards to the UV podcast that we did a month or so back, did I miss something about this information? Bacteria consuming nitrates and phosphates are free swimming and not fixed ones.
0: No, both types of bacteria. Um, even, well, nitrifiers, which are f- fixed bacteria, need phosphate but you've got heterotrophic bacteria. You've got lots of different, I mean, you've got lots of heterotrophic bacteria of different types that live on surface substrates too. And they can remove the phosphate and nitrate from the water. Or where, where in that I was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of UV unless there's a specific reason. And again, why? Because, Things that grow on surfaces make your aquarium look dirty. That bacterial film, the the uh, f- slime that grows on the front glass, that you know people don't like. It it makes the tank look foggy and can give off some smell. All that's heterotrophic bacteria, which will consume phosphates and nitrates. All all bacteria need phosphate. And heterotrophic bacteria get their nitrate, their nitrogen, because all organisms need nitrogen. They need phosphate, nitrogen, and carbon. And the heterotrophic bacteria get their nit- their nitrogen needs generally by nitrate, whereas the autotrophic nitrifiers, well, ammonia. NH3, that N is part of the ammonia and it converts to nitrite. NO2, that nitrite again is the nitrogen is in the nitrite. And that's what these back the heterotrophic or the autotrophic nitrifiers are using. So they're all using nit- nitrogen. It's just a different form of nitrogen.
1: All right. Yeah. I feel like this podcast is flying by. We're already on number eight. How about phosphate in our unfiltered tap water? Can that promote algae growth as well?
0: Yes. Phosphate's phosphate. Definitely. Uh, Phosphate, another big source of phosphate is frozen food. Phosphate is a preservative used in frozen foods. And so you just throw some frozen food in your tank, you're throwing a lot of phosphate into the water.
1: It's not. It's not listed on the ingredients as phosphate. Do you know what it's listed as? Oh
0: uh, no, I don't. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. Always curious about those sort of things. Like you hear about how there's um like seaweed in a lot of common everyday products from like shampoo to toothpaste and stuff, but nowhere on the ingredients list does it ever say like seaweed. It's listed as like alginate or something like that.
0: But most um. Labeling, especially for fish food, fish food labeling's more strict than uh, human food labeling. Uh, you you don't they don't allow you. there's very very much what terms you can say. So even if they you wanted to say phosphate, you're not allowed to say phosphate. You have to say uh, something else and it's escaping me right now
1: here's here's a here's a fish food question this isn't on the list but you're talking about ingredients so when you see um i think it's like listed as ash on fish food what does that mean do you know
0: well almost all food flake food and pelletized food go through a heating process the the Flake food is made by you make this gruel, you know this this liquid, which everything is mixed in, and then they take it through a sprayer, All, almost like if you're out, if you've ever been out in the desert, and you've been at a restaurant outside, and they're spraying the mist into the air. Well, these <laughs> these cool you down. What these misters do is they literally spray the gruel onto this super hot roller. So picture this roller that's on its side, like 12 inches diameter at 1800 degrees. And you're spraying this gruel on it. And as soon as it hits that, it dries. And because the sprayer is keeping it a very thin mist and the roller is moving; it basically makes a thin, a sheet of fish food. And then there's these razor knives at at the bottom that break off or, or cut, you know, or cut the food at, off the roller. And that's how you make f- uh, flake food. And you know, it's super hot. And so, because of that heat, a certain amount of that food is basically baked to the point where there's no nutritional content. So the ash, I mean, ash is what it sounds like. If you took, you know, organic material, uh, tobacco leaf, cigar leaf, fish food and burn it. You don't burn, you know, there's, there's, it's not like there's nothing left. There's a little bit of ash left. And so, the process of making these prepared foods, there's a certain amount that is basically nutritionally void. There's no there's no nutrition in it because it's been baked out. So you you want a low ash content with your fish food. So if if yes. if if food says 10% ash, then 10% of that food is basically worthless to the fish, to anything. Just pollute Every- your aquarium.
1: And we don't want that. No. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead to one of my other questions on the list because it talks about nutrition. So we're already there. Um, let's see, make it number nine. I have some discus fish they're not willing to eat. Some of them eat, but they're way too skinny. I'm providing them beef heart, uh, brine shrimp, and blood worms, and mixing it with garlic and vitamins. What else would you recommend?
0: well, they're not willing to eat while you're feeding them. Um, so, uh, you know, one, one thing is turn up the temperature a little bit because the warmer the temperature, that can stimulate feeding habit. And then uh, try to, uh, you know, beef heart Try to find something, uh, mealworms have a lot of fat content and everyone likes fat, including fish. That's why we eat French fries. You know, there's a program to grab that. Uh, Vitamin C or a vitamin mix. You got to be careful with adding vitamins in that a small amount can stimulate feeding habit, but a large amount uh puts the fish off. basically the um you know it's it's really doesn't taste very good. so more is not better. This is the problem with spirulina. People try to make these diets with a large amount of spirulina and the fish don't like it because it's got a very bitter taste to it. So what you just you really just have to start varying varying the uh, the types of food that you give to them. I would try to find, um, a source of live tubiflex worms, and there's this very simple feeder. And that's what I used to use for all my discus, and this feeder is like a uh, cone-shaped with a. And so it's got a float at the top, and then the cone goes inside the the ring, and then you put the tubiflex in that, and they kind of. It's got the cone has holes in it, so then you've got this upside-down cone, with these small holes, and the worms are kind of sticking out of the holes. And that the discus love that they'll go right up there and eat those. Um, but generally, in fish aren't eating, you need to maybe try to give them some live food to um, stimulate the feeding and then go from there. But if you're adding vitamins, that can be a, an issue just because you might be adding too much, more is not better.
1: Exactly. Um, do you want to just go ahead and give a plug for the beneficial food?
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. Terrible salesperson. We, and and we, now we make a do-it-yourself uh, frozen food. The benefit of it, and it's called beneficial trademark, um, is that it doesn't have all these preservatives. So it has a lot less phosphate. Now all food has phosphate. That's the octane that we need. Every live or, every organism needs phosphate. Don't ever believe the marketing of my, f- you know, whatever food is phosphate free. Phosphate free food is got another name and it's called cardboard. You need phosphate in your, te- in your food. Not a lot, but you need it anyways. Um, so with our do it yourself, beneficial fish food, it's a powder. You can mix a lot of things with it. But again, like a vitamin mix, vitamin C, you want to go with a small amount. Um, heat heat up, uh, m- microwave um, half an ounce of water for about two minutes so it starts to boil. Add the powder, one pouch or three scoops of the economy size, mix it up, and then we have a nice silicone tray you pour it out into. And fish love this. I mean, they, they it's got spirulina, marigold uh probiotics real probiotics in it uses salmon meal and uh it's very clean because it doesn't have all the organic binders that flakes and pellets have but gen but you'll find is initially say the fish don't go after it, the discus are kind of be like cats you know they kind of ignore it um but it'll go down to the bottom and it will not fall apart. It'll stay in its cube shape and then eventually they'll start going and picking at it. Um, so that that can be a very nice food. And what's nice about it is um, you can add stuff to it, you know antiparasitics and different things like that. so you can make a medicated food using this.
1: Yes, that is one of my favorite parts about this food is that I can, like, it's so easy to add the medicines in and feed it. It's nice. Yep. All right. Well, we have another food question. Number 10, how many large pellets should I feed a five-inch flower horn male per day?
0: That is an unanswerable question because every fish is different. And even if you had you know, clones of that same fish, every tank is different in terms of water temperature, water quality, and things like that. And what does that mean? Well, all that affects how much the fish is going to eat. So the only way you can answer a question is, how much should I feed a fish, is by starting out. Start out small, And, you know, add add four cubes, add three cubes. If the fish eats it within seconds, okay, add some more. And also be observant. Everybody's got a phone with a camera. Take some pictures of the belly. The belly area should not be concave. It shouldn't be sunken in, things like that. Um, And so initially the fish may eat a lot, but then start to slow down. And you'll know that because you know, there is that kind of, you know, whatever they'll eat in three to five minutes is a good guide. You don't want a lot of f- pellets or any food, you know, sitting in the aquarium for a long period of time, definitely not hours. So, you know, if you feed feed 50 pellets and you come back an hour later and they're all over the place like, you know, snow on the ground, you have way overfed. So only through some trial and error, can you determine what the right amount is and realize that, you know, as long as the fish is eating and is, and is interested in the food, feed what they'll eat in, in, say, five minutes twice a day. And you can even skip a day. Fish, fish don't have to be fed every day. You skip a day. That reduces the nitrogen waste. It reduces the organics, helps uh, keep the tank clean. But there is no answer of feed 10 pellets. You know, I I can't give a number. It just depends on the conditions, the fish, and you just have to observe.
1: Yep. And I'm going to add to that. You're talking about feeding them and seeing how much they'll eat. When you feed them, if you don't normally hang out in front of the tank, if they're not super familiar with you, maybe like grab a chair and sit at the back of the room and observe them eating because they might not always eat if you're standing right there.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point, Hiller. Yep. And uh you know the whole point of the aquarium is to be looking at it, right? So Exactly. Sit exactly. back, get your favorite adult beverage or a non-adult beverage and just watch your fish.
1: Um Exactly.
0: But it's impossible to say how many exactly to feed.
1: Yep. No, this is a good question of how important it is to observe your fish and your aquariums and how much you can learn from observation. All
0: right, right. everybody. Great questions. As always follow us on social media and we're now on TikTok. Uh, You know, we, we love answering questions and getting ideas. Uh, So if you have uh, an idea for questions you want answered, situations, we'd love to hear from you at info at Dr. Tim's Aquatics or at Dr. Tim's Aquatics or hashtag, I don't know, all this stuff, Hillary. I'm being a little crazy. Um, but they, they know how to get us. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag
1: Dr. Tim's Aquatics or info at Dr. Tim's Aquatics.
0: Yeah, she knows. And uh, till next time, this has been Dr. Tim and Hillary and the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Good fish keeping